Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you again. A couple of important days coming up, both Israel uh, Memorial Day on Monday and then Israel Independence Day on Tuesday. And, of course, we continue to focus on the big number, which is 5050 for Yom Yerushalayim, the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. Just reminding everybody, uh, Malcolm and I are among the thousands of people from the diaspora that will be in Israel and in Jerusalem for that big celebration. Who else might be there? We'll discuss it. Don't worry, folks. I know it's on everybody's mind. We'll discuss who might be in Jerusalem that week. <laughs> but for our purposes, if you want to uh, make sure to be at the events that the World Mizrahi is participating in and really uh, hosting, uh, you go to Mizrahi.org slash YY50, Mizrahi.org slash YY50. And Malcolm, we will get later on in this conversation to some of the high-profile guests that might be in Israel uh, that week. But let's start in France. Your reaction uh, to the uh, two people um, who um, ended up uh, winning the runoff positions uh, during the French election last Sunday. Well, it's a, a complicated uh, situation, obviously, because you had multiple candidates uh, who were eliminated, but it's, it's clearly a rejection of the established parties, and you have two uh, now with a very clear choice. One could say maybe pa- people will draw parallels to the American election, though I think it's, it's uh, not exactly the same. Uh, the French system dictates that, that you end up in a second round of the top two vote-getters, and most of those who were eliminated, almost everybody, has endorsed Macron. Right. Um, and against uh, Le Pen, there are, in the Jewish communities, mixed views, but by and large, a rejection of, of Le Pen, though she does have, as I said, some Jewish supporters. The uh, issues, obviously, are more internal. Um, she has expressed support for Israel, so as Macron, and he has some uh, good friends like uh, Valls, who are, are supporters of Israel. But uh, and and he's certainly in, anticipated to win, though. Uh, you know the experience in other places like Britain and U.S. that people are not just accepting the predictions as uh, as facts. Yeah. But the the um, the numbers seem to be there. The question is how big a block she will have as a result of this in the parliament, and does this position her to be uh, a candidate in the future? Oh, you're saying even without victory, even without outright victory, what type of influence she might have because of the control she'll have in the parliament. Exactly. Wow. I didn't even think of that. I'm still, I'm still trying to, uh, you know, I'm still wondering whether in fact uh, she could win this thing because as you said, we've seen, including in our own country, you know, people, uh, people settling for the fact that there's no way in the world one candidate can win. And sure enough, they go ahead and do so. By the way, and, and just as a total aside, I read somewhere that he, meaning Macron, has some connection to Israeli high-tech companies. Did you see any of that anywhere, or did I dream it? <laughs> like, that he actually has real connections to Israeli businesses in, uh, in a positive uh, way, to business leaders in a positive way. I know that he has contacts with some Israelis. I don't know that he has any investments or a particular that I do not know. But uh, I know I, I did meet with the leaders of the French Jewish community this week, and they're obviously, um, you know, they talk very frankly and openly about the conditions in the country, right. about their concerns regarding anti-Semitism, the relationship with the government, which uh, has been responsive to their needs. But 
you know, whereas in the past there was, there was usually denial, and there still is on the part of other European leaders, uh, the French Jewish community is actually very upfront, and uh, they obviously are, are united against the uh, against Le Pen. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the realities there are so stark, and the concern about the return of ISIS fighters, which we've discussed, you know, many times now, yeah. they talk about... Uh, you know, because you have like 2,000 at least that they acknowledge, plus you have arrested population. And, and in France, where I think 240 people have been killed since uh, January of 2015, and you have had uh, a spate of, of uh, terrorist attacks, but now being carried out by homegrown terrorist people influenced, and they talked about the influence of the Internet and the appeal to Americans to, to help uh, because the companies are American-based in large part to play a bigger role in trying to control and getting the companies to control the messages of hate speech that go out over the Internet. We spoke earlier in the week on the air with uh, Rabbi Sabag from, you know, the chief rabbi of the Great Synagogue in Paris. Right. You, could, you, could hear the vo- you could hear the fear in his voice, frankly, and he did describe how there's a, a, a unified effort, a very active effort, uh, behind Macron from the uh, uh, from the Jewish community, uh, and one of the things that that one of the uh, not him, but one of the analysts said uh, was again this whole uh, theory that that she will win only if there's a major terror attack. Now I remind you that a lot of people said here in the United States that Donald Trump will win only if there's a major terror attack. As people saw him as you know stronger when it comes to homeland security than Hillary, there, there was no thank God any major terror attack, and look what happened. So I think again people are. You know, falling into the same trap. You think that what you, know, you described learning a lesson from Great Britain, from the United States. I don't know if a lot of people have learned that lesson because she really could win this election outright on many other issues than just terrorism. There is a, a big agenda, you know, the economic conditions, but the the refugee issue, the integration of the population uh, of the immigrant population, the demographic realities. I mean that that France faces and Europe faces just with their birth rate, uh, the birth rate of the Muslim immigrant population, the um, uh, immigration of people, the uh, low birth rate amongst Europeans. These are factors that I think really are at the core of a lot of the. A sentiment that that one hears in in France no and in Britain and in uh, other countries in Germany. Uh, again, the British, I think, downplay it much more and try to portray a, a picture that's, I think, more rosy than real. But um, the the French are, are are I think today very realistic. They're, they are facing a reality that. Uh, that is of concern. They don't know, and they see their young people leaving, right. and that only increases the demographic imbalance. And uh, you know, when those of childbearing age aren't there, Jews and non-Jews, by the way, right. then that that and and the today Muslim the Muslims outnumber them officially ten to one, but unofficially it could be twenty to one. Um, you, you know that the uh, uh, the feeling is that. Um uh, not even the feeling. The reality is that this election is right around the corner. It's like it's next weekend, right? The election is going to be taking place next weekend. In a week, correct. And so, therefore, it might be silly for me to ask this. I may as well just wait a week to ask it, but I can't resist. You know, we've seen in many countries uh, members of the Jewish community and leadership in the Jewish community either threaten or suggest that it's time to leave if someone wins. And, of course, when they do win, at least in our experience in the last couple of decades, when they do win, there's not much movement. Do you think, in fact, if she's the outright victor, we might see 
a a tremendous movement of Jews out of out of France? I don't think that there'll be an instant move. I think people, in any event, should prepare that given the the realities that the French Jewish community uh, faces, uh, many of them have in fact bought homes in in Israel, some in Miami, some in other places. The the a tremendous number. And there is an outmigration of the of younger generation, but I think that some of the outside calls, and we saw it even during the election, uh, I think are a big mistake. And it's not for for the people to to create a panic, and it's not to to stampede people to leave. To say that if uh, this or that candidate gets elected, everybody should flee or should run away is is not a way. This has to be. I think it should be done in an orderly fashion for everybody anyway, and everybody should prepare to go to Jerusalem and live in Israel uh, or someplace in Israel. The uh, the concern is there. The people don't need to be riled up. They're concerned enough. And to, to indicate that somehow uh, overnight, if if there is a change in the government. That things will they will change, but that it will become impossible to live there is not valid. Right. I mean, we think of some of the statements, and again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, assuage fears because uh, we we know Jewish history, so we we know how extreme this can get. Uh, but she speaks about ritual slaughter, for instance. Everyone, not specifically Jewish, but she was talking about ritual slaughter. Recently, mm-hmm. so the you know the, so people conjecture that you know she's in power. The next day, you know, there's no such thing as shchita in France. Not well, it is being threatened in parts of Europe, and we could see it eliminated, as we've seen someplace in Scandinavia where they're doing. And uh, they've also threatened Brit Milan. Those are the first two things that we see when a society is manifesting its anti-Semitism, and they do it under the guise of humane slaughter or other things. Uh, there might be legitimate concerns about the, you know, how animals are treated, but but shechita is certainly proven to be humane, and that it becomes a, a vehicle. And they'll say we're, we're doing this to limit the Muslims, but if it uh, hurts the Jews as well, and and that's not the way to go about uh, addressing the concerns in the society. So again, it's not. You're right. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be you know just uh, the somebody turning off the light switch, right. but. There's reason to be concerned when, when we see some of the people who follow them, as we've seen here, extremists on the left and right who are continuing to manifest their views and being accepted in some places, increasingly accepted people who have views that are so abhorrent, like Linda Sarsour getting an uh, honorary doctor, uh, being a commencement speaker at a, at a CUNY school of state uh, tax, rather uh, sponsored school. Yeah. And I mean, that's really, to me, an extremely disturbing thing. And then the public officials will not come out and say what they should say about it. Right. And, um, well, enough. Yeah, no, I, I was going to bring up CUNY later on also. But I, 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 it, what's shocking to me in that case is that the outcry is simply not there, as you said, from public officials. But you would think that, that the officials themselves who make the decision about who to invite would realize what type of uproar there would be from the Jewish world. But frankly, maybe it's not enough. Maybe it's just not enough of an uproar from the Jewish world. Well, it's not. It's not just the uproar from the Jewish world. The, the process of, of decision making it could be two or three people, a small committee that makes right. a decision, and you know to justify to try and, and justify. Uh, uh, for instance, the uh, Mar, um, Omar Bagudi got a uh, what they call the Gandhi Prize at Yale. Right. It turns out that this is an outside group, 
student group not affiliated with Yale, and the president of Yale knows came down and, and disassociated publicly Yale from it, but people condemned and thought that Yale University was actually giving the prize. That is not the case. In this case, in this school, of it's a, it's a, a school of the CUNY system, uh, did make a decision and, and, and insists on standing by it. One could say that they didn't know public officials who told me that uh, yesterday elected officials that they they didn't know so i said now that you know though what are you going to do what are you going to say it's not enough to say well i didn't know at the time you know it was just because of you know sarsour's role in organizing a march or in something else that that was done but once you know would you tolerate it if if those kind of views had been expressed against any other ethnic or, or religious group Answer is no. I want to know if, if um, I don't know, Steve Bannon was elected, how many of those same people was, was selected to speak at a graduation, what would they would have done, what kind of uproar they would have had. And I think her views uh, uh, have uh, certainly are more extreme in, in many respects. By the way, I'm, um, I'm coining the phrase in reference to the French election as a cautious pessimism. What do you think of that? Is that a French term? You've heard of cautious optimism. I'm coining yeah, this one. I'm <laughs> coining this one. Cautious pessimism. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web and com on the Nahumsegal Network and of course on our beloved NSN app. Reminder, the OU Community Fair is this weekend, Sunday noon until six Eastern time in New York at the Metropolitan Pavilion. We'll broadcast from there starting at one PM. Eastern Time. Make sure you're listening and watching on the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, all right, this is this seems to be the story of the week, at least in terms of what people want me to ask you about. So I'll ask you now, and that is about the President of the United States. And in fact, would he be in Israel during the same week that will be there? Because you know, many many people, thank God, from the diaspora are going to converge on the state of Israel in the city of Jerusalem the week of May 22nd as we get ready for May 24th, the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. Do you think, based on reports and your inside information, that the president will be there then? It looks likely that he will come uh, on the 22nd or one night uh, visit. He has never been in Israel, so this will be his first uh, visit. I don't think he'll have a chance to do much touring, but, uh, <laughs> but and, and uh, you know, this city will be pretty crowded anyway. Yeah. So, um, but I think the coincidence is, is remarkable. Maybe he'll make an important announcement when he's there. Uh, he's going also to Saudi Arabia. He's going to uh, other countries, and um, the discussions are underway about his visit to Israel. I think symbolically it's obviously an important statement when a president visits uh visits Israel and um, uh, could occasion, you know, for him to have a better understanding, a better feel for what Israel faces. There's nothing, as you know, for then and why it's so important when senators, congressmen, others go there, right. because once they get a sense of the geography, I mean, he has golf courses they think are almost as big as, as uh, most of the cities <laughs> in Israel. <laughs> and, and he, um, uh, he, you know, to get a sense of, of the reality of what Israel's facing and, and the, the people, I think he will get a very warm reception. I'm sure there'll be others, some who protest, but it's democracy and, and people do what they want. But I think he will overall get a, a very a positive response. All right, but you got to go back to the first your first reaction to this. Tell me about the quote-unquote coincidence. I mean, I'm sure somebody 
in his office knows what kind of week that is in Jerusalem and what type of celebrations are going to be taking place. It is something that he would show up, Dafka specifically, that week in Jerusalem. Well, I mean, the trip was scheduled, and, and then they determined where he was going to go. This was the time when he could go. So I don't think it started off as saying, hey, you know, it's Yom Yerushalayim, let's go to Israel. It could be, though, that they said, look, if we're going to make an announcement about an embassy, this would be a good week to do it, which is a good week to do it. And, um, and we'll, we'll have to see whether what happens. There are people associated with the Republican Party who are in Israel, you know, they're, meaning Americans who've moved to Israel who are quote-unquote leaders of the Repub- Republican Party or faction there, who insist that it's Israel who does not want the embassy moved. No, it's not true that they don't want the embassy moved. They understand the ramifications and the reality. You can't just pick up an embassy and move it. It's a huge undertaking when you have hundreds and hundreds of people. I think the government of Israel wants to see it recognized. They want to see it uh, done right. They don't want to have you know, bloodshed and everything else that accompanies it. The real question as I've said all along, is doing it smart. And and there are ways to do it, to, to establish the principle. You know, people got so excited when the Russians announced that Western Jerusalem was being, that they recognized Western Jerusalem uh, as uh, Israel's capital. It was not a good thing for us, because what they did essentially is to give the rest of the city, all of the rest, to the Palestinians, to a future Palestinian state. And that's not acceptable. And, and the, uh, you know, you, so whatever you do, even trying to do something good, you have to do it right. And you have to do it smart and think about how you assure that nothing is done now that compromises Israel's ability to keep Jerusalem united, to have sovereignty and to not see the holy places and other things internationalized or nationalized by somebody else or, um, you know, giving away a significant position regarding Jerusalem. So uh, all I say is that people, you have to be cautious and smart about how you do it. I would have liked to have seen them not talk about it before, but do what we heard rumors that they wanted to do on the first night. And you could have just you have buildings already in Jerusalem, uh, two consular buildings, very significant ones, where it could have had a plaque and then could say office of the ambassador, right. and he could work out of there for a couple of days. Take, let him take a suite at the King David and do it, or wherever. And this, this ambassador actually has a home in Jerusalem, and uh, I think is very committed to seeing Jerusalem recognized. There are reports in Israel that the President of the United States is going to use the opportunity of that week to surprise Israel and ask its leaders to publicly agree to a two-state compromise. What do you think of that? Well, the the Prime Minister of Israel has spoken in favor of a two-state solution uh, or arrangement. doesn't define what the other state will be, Uh, what its uh, full um, powers will be, demilitarized, what its geographic location, what rights it would have. But he has said it on multiple occasions, beginning at his Bar Ilan speech. So have four other prime ministers. The uh, last four or five prime ministers have done the same. So I don't think that's that's going to be a surprise. I think he may want to announce that they're going to hold a summit meeting. He's meeting with Abbas next uh, next week, uh, May third. Yeah, May third. Yeah. Uh, and he will be here for a couple of days before Mr. Abbas. Um, uh, and I'm hopeful that he will, I'm sure that one issue that he will raise is about the money going to terrorists and the pensions, uh, the, the most outrageous, again, we see with the murder of this young British student yeah. on the train. And, and already they announced an 
pound a month pension, etc. And uh, British Friends of Labour and other uh, groups in in, uh, in Britain have already uh, protested about this uh, this action. And and we have to remember that Abbas is challenged internally. He, he's in the twelfth year of a four-year term. He's eighty-two. He doesn't want to really negotiate. There's no sign that he's really serious about it. He has put forward and he's put down markers where he's saying that as a precondition, he wants a commitment to a state in the pre-67 lines. He wants the release of more prisoners. He wants um, he wants the, to to uh, have a, a specific timetable for. Uh, the negotiations, uh, and, and I mean, he is he is putting down the markers, and the uh, fact is that what they will demand of him is not only stopping the the payments, and I think recognition of uh, Israel's a Jewish state, and um, joining this kind of approach. They're talking more of a regional approach, having had you know other Arab leaders uh, um, come in, and I think that you may see Abbas give something, come with some uh, scheme about the payment to Palestinians. Last time they put it under the PLO as if there was some separation, you know, the money doesn't matter what pocket it comes out of as long as you keep paying for those who kill Jews and kill Israelis and, and even Arabs were killed by these guys. Um, and the, the, uh, and the, there are a lot of sweeteners and things in terms of economic development, et cetera, that, that are very important. Um, and he can, he's able to maneuver. He's, he's, uh, he's a wily guy. He's proven that in the past, and he'll make statements that can be interpreted various ways, but the goal always is to shift the onus onto Israel so that uh, while he's the one who has rejected over the years the Barak plan and Olmert and all of the other things, today the difference is you have many Arab states that are involved they offer political and financial inducements. They can bring pressure also because he's dependent uh, on them. He has the problem of Hamas. He still, you know, he represents only part of the Palestinian people. And the biggest opposition he has is internally. And the the there was a big rally by people wanting to establish an Islamic caliphate in in Ramallah. The government actually gave him, the PA gave him permission to do it, but it drew thousands of people. The, and it was against it was actually against him and and we see in the camps the fight between the security forces and uh, and people and two thirds of of the Palestinians in in the interviews say and and polls say they believe he should step down. He doesn't visit the UN during this visit, does he? It, right now, he's not uh, scheduled to be in New York, right. but. Um, and if he comes, I'm sure that he will visit the UN. And speaking of that, we saw tremendous statements by the new Secretary General. That's I, I, br I bring that up specifically to see if the brand new uh, Secretary General, who again you point out has made some amazing statements vis-a-vis -vis Israel, would address this issue of compensation for terrorist families. He has. He has talked. I've talked to him about it. Uh, he, he is a former Prime Minister of. Uh, Portugal. He was one of many candidates, as you know, and right. he, he, when he was the head of the parliament, uh, rescinded the Inquisition laws that had remained for 500 years right. on the books. He has a great sensitivity. He spoke about the, the fact that those who deny Israel's right to exist is a modern form of anti-Semitism, no less, and, and spoke very clearly 
about this uh, and about the on Yom uh, Shoah talked about the lessons and the and he does it with sincerity and he speaks without notes so it's not something that somebody prepared for him he has spoken on this in several occasions and on that subject when you know we are always critical of the international uh, Red Cross for a lot of the statements that they make well the uh, Jacques de Mayo a name that we've talked about who heads the International Committee of the Red Cross, the ICRC delegation to Israel, he, he made a very important statement in which he said that there's no, uh, that we respond to anybody who makes the argument that Israel's an apartheid state. There is no apartheid here. It's not a regime that is based on superiority of one race. There's no disenfranchisement of basic human rights coming from the ICRC. And uh, and that he said that we clarified that the issue of shooting assailants who carry out terror attacks and said we reached the unequivocal conclusion there's no IDF order to shoot suspects to kill, uh, as some political officials uh, tried to convince them, and uh, really exonerated Israel from many of the, of the charges that have been leveled against them. So I think out of fairness, because we have been critical of them in the past for what they didn't say, how to give them credit for what they did this time. And also, out of fairness, in light of what we spoke about last week, uh, the President of the United States did very well on Yom HaShoah this week. He gave an excellent statement, and those who who demean it or diminished it, I mean, I just think it's really a mistake, it's unfair. Uh, And having, you know, the President make that kind of declaration that the whole world sees is really important. No question about it. All right, we got to move on to Iran, Syria, what's happening in the north. I mean, there's some people who are actually stating that Israel's essentially at war with Syria at this point, with the Iranian presence and all the weapons shipments that are going on that Israel has to be concerned about. What is the update on the border? Well, the, the uh, you know, Hezbollah continues to, to play a critical role. Uh, ISIS has been more and more isolated, and, as, and for that we have another crisis developing, and that is the, the exodus of these people to go back to countries, including Europe and, and elsewhere. But the, uh, and Israel is very focused on preventing, and especially in any kind of ceasefire arrangement, uh, Iran and Hezbollah and others from getting too close to the, to the border. They're and they have fired back across the border because they have to keep it very clear they will not tolerate any violations of this because this poses obviously a direct uh, threat. Mm. The um, you know the fighting continues, but we've seen Iran and Russia consolidating their position. Iran allied with Hezbollah and with the the militias, the Shiite militias, who have perhaps ten or fifteen thousand. Uh, fighters, 10,000 on part of an additional 10,000 for Hezbollah, which has suffered at least 1,000 dead, but probably uh, double that number. And that's only based on the published reports. So the actual number, uh, I would assume, is uh, considerably larger. The, so the, there's been nothing uh, positive in in what we see in, in Syria, that the um, you, the the fact that they have the chemical weapons, I think, is, is now demonstrated. Israel's warnings about it have been vindicated. That they, they Some say they have several hundred tons uh, of chemical weapons. They have uh, some warheads. Israel uh, fired missiles again to prevent the shipment, uh, supposedly, of, um, of rockets and other advanced equipment to, to Hezbollah, and something they said they will continue 
to oppose and to and to stop by whatever means necessary. Are you annoyed, like some are, that the United States is still not making strong enough statements about Iran's um, um, a non-compliance with the Iran deal? Well, we've seen some statements this week by Tillerson, the Secretary of State, and uh, I think the President, that were um, more directed, and certainly Nikki Haley at the Ambassador at the UN has been very tough in her uh, statements about about Iran's aggression, Iran's violation of human rights, Iran on, on many counts in the missile program, which is a violation, and, it's, and uh, President Trump said... Um, that they're not living up to the spirit of the deal. I would say they're not living up to the letter of the deal either. Um, and uh, he, he said it was a terrible agreement again that shouldn't have been negotiated. The question is now, what do you do? Do you, do you undermine it? And one of the ways to address it is to increase the sanctions. They have put sanctions on people involved in the chemical warfare, let's say, in Syria. Right. Uh, there has to be uh, additional sanctions brought to bear against Iran and people who are involved. I think the Boeing deal, uh, selling planes to Esamon Airlines, which is headed by a former head of the Iran Revolutionary Guard Navy, who has threatened the United States, threatened Israel in, in, previous, uh, in his previous position. And the idea that this is somehow a civilian airline, when we know that they use the, uh, the planes for transporting goods and people to Syria and elsewhere, there's no reason why we should be uh, allowing this Boeing sale to, to continue. We should, at least they should put freeze it for now. The uh, internal situation there in, in Iran is worsening, and the, you see the more and more aggressive statements. Khamenei threatened Israel and the United States this week himself. They had their defense minister was in Moscow, gave a, a ridiculous statement, but you see the aggressiveness. We see them uh, threatening more and more Bahrain and other countries and being more aggressive in their outreach. I mean, in every way, the spirit, and I would say the letter... Uh, even though they have lived up to, I guess, the technical requirements. But they publicly pronounce how they are moving ahead in the development of centrifuges, all the key components, so that when the the deadline is up, they'll be able to move quickly to the enrichment part. I think that's what enhances the frustration for for people who are looking for, you know, specific call-outs from Washington about violations of the... uh, of the Iran deal. Well, I want to see qualms. I want to see our, our Navy respond. They, they again harassed a, a U.S. naval destroyer in the Persian Gulf, the Mahan, and uh, they came within a thousand yards, which may sound like a lot, but it's actually very little when you're having these high-speed boats. And uh, the U.S. Um, they manned the guns and they fired some uh, warning shots and some um, flares. They fired flares, uh, and the, the other ship then quickly turned course and, and left. But uh, they admit that 35 times in, in last year they, they engaged in these kind of interactions, and uh, that's more than double the year before. Uh, and and they, so Iran is engaging in all these provocations. So rather than seeing statements, I want to see more sanctions. I want The question is, will they waive the um, pass that the uh, JCPOA gave them on some of the existing sanctions. Iran says if you do that, you're violating the agreement, and therefore we can violate or will violate the agreement. Uh, I'm pretty certain they are violating anyway. And uh, uh, so there is a cautious, there's a review going on, I think a 90-day review about 
what U.S. policy will be. And finally, for the first time in history, the 12 torch lighters at the official government Yamat's Mot ceremony in Israel will not all be Israeli. Two will be Americans, Rabbi Marvin Heyer and Mr. Michael Steinhardt. Your reaction? Uh, it was good choices, and uh, I think that the uh, you know the inclusion of Jews from outside is uh, it's, a, it's a nice gesture. Yes, uh, I'm not sure this is the first time that anybody from outside of, of Israel has been included. It, it may be um, our sources tell the, us it is, but there will pardon me. Our sources tell us it is. It might be that the first time that they actually designated somebody as a representative uh, from outside. Uh, the um, and next year will be the even more significant oh, yeah. the 70th anniversary. That's we'll right. see what happens. The you know the the um, and, and the fact that that diaspora jury is participating in, and there have so many events in Jerusalem this year uh, for the 50th anniversary. I think is also a very important statement in the inclusion uh, of them and the uh, in in the official programs and the non-official programs. Uh, will be also in a very important statement. Uh, and we have to make a statement that events here and events there should be well attended to the message to the world when we see those activities. We know UNESCO is again gearing up to challenge the Jewish uh, rights in, in Jerusalem, and they changed right. the names, as you remember. And that includes, the by the way, that includes this coming Sunday night and Monday and Monday night and Tuesday uh, for Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmud. We should all... Uh, make it our business to uh, support and help Even you. Even the, the very fact that we have to remind people, encourage it, and when everybody should be jumping at the opportunity to show to God to thank Him for this miracle in that time, to thank Him for the fact that we have a place that can defend Jews and uh, where Jews can go. And, uh, you know, coming out of Yom HaShoah, a reminder when we saw all the new information that came out about how early the Allies knew and had there been, they could have just opened Palestine up at the time. You could have saved hundreds of thousands, not millions of Jewish lives that uh, people should have to wake up and not take it for granted. No question about it. You endanger it. Thank you very much, Mr. Holmline. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak next Good week. Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. It's the weekly update here at JM in the AM.